my God. How do you not like immediately, if you're not swooped off your feet, like right <laughs> off the bat, how does that name not do that to you? <laughs> my God. That's amazing. That's fantastic. So you can, uh, not, not that he probably doesn't get enough high fives for it, but when you're done, you know, you can tell him that I told you to give him another one. <laughs> I will, I will. Um, it's a lot of garbled. I mean, Starbucks is our, well, I'll, I'll save it. We'll talk. About okay. It. Okay. My daddy wants you to know a lot of the episodes have mostly clean language, but this episode has some words in it that aren't meant for all ages. So if you have kids like me in your house, you may want to put some headphones on for this one. You've been warned. Done, done, done. Hey, this is Robert Walter of Robert Walter's 20th Congress. This podcast is part of the Osiris Podcast Network. which is welcome in Tigrinya, which is a South Semitic language spoken in Ethiopia. Welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the creator and the host of the podcast. Thank you very much for joining for another episode today. I do not always speak Tigrinya. I never speak Tigrinya, but... You may never know. You you may someday run into somebody that it will help you to say welcome to them. And then at the end of the podcast, I'll help you say goodbye to them. So just in case. But that's just some of the fun that we have here on the Daddy Unscripted podcast is the fun of helping you guys learn something new. And you're going to learn a lot of things new from my guest today, John Bailey, And we'll get into that in just a little bit. Let me first very quickly remind you that the Daddy Unscripted podcast is one of many now proud members of the Osiris Podcast Network. And what is the Osiris Podcast Network, you ask? I'm glad you asked. The Osiris Podcast Network is a group of podcasts that are dedicated to music and culture And we help spread the love of that community to all of you. And we are also working in a partnership with Jambase. So go to either OsirisPod.com to check out all the other podcasts or go to Jambase.com so that you can be empowered to go see live music. And here I'm going to let another of the Osiris podcasts tell you a tiny bit in a minute or less about their podcast. Hi, I'm Ben Sawyer, and I'm the co-host of the Road to Now podcast on the Osiris Podcast Network. Each week, my partner Bob Crawford and I speak with experts to discover how history has shaped the politics, culture, and economy of the world we inhabit. I'm a history professor and stand-up comic, and Bob is a founding member of the Avett Brothers with a deep knowledge of history and theology. Together, we work to bring history to the public in a way that is informative, accessible, and we hope, entertaining. You can find the Road to Now podcast anywhere you get this Osiris podcast, or on our website at www.theroadtonow.com. That's www.theroadtonow.com. 
We hope you'll join us on the road and that you thoroughly enjoy this episode of our fellow Osiris podcast. Okay, so make sure you guys check that one out much after you are done just absorbing all of the greatness of this episode with John. John and I talked a lot about a little bit about his history and his parental history and talked about his life as um, somebody living in Northern California, kind of through the 60s and the 70s. John is half of two dads with baggage. That's the number two. And uh, he and his husband, who I'm just not going to name him. You're going to have to wait because he has an amazing name. And the stories about he and his husband and adopting their two daughters are just... There's some stories that people tell that make my eyes sting in a very specific way, which causes other like just little bits of liquid to come out of my eyes. And this was one of them in all sincerity, like uh, the stories that John told were really deep and really hit me in my feelings. They, they really did. And the story of his oldest daughter, Sophia and her interaction with uh, former President Barack Obama is also touching. So I can't wait for you guys any longer to hear all these things. So let's get right to the episode with myself and John Bailey. All right, we are here today with John Bailey of Two Dads with Baggage. And you can find them under Two Dads with Baggage on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. There, everything is connected that way. I'm assuming you guys were able to nail that all down at once, right, John? Yeah, it's the number two. Yeah, numeral two. Is yeah. there is there one that's the word two that you guys com- have to compete with? No, we bought that oh, one too. That's good. <laughs> Just to make sure. Yeah, that's smart. Definitely the number two dads with baggage and you will find all of their traveling. You guys have a lot that we'll get to and that you guys are probably rushing to look at the hashtags and everything right now. So um, just wait. We'll get to that stuff with John. But um, welcome, John. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Ah, Thanks for having me, Tim. This is fun. Yeah. So let's jump right in and go back to what makes John Bailey, John Bailey and go into your paternal history. Okay. Well, gosh, I came from a very loving family of a mom with Sicilian background and a dad with Irish background. Hmm. At least that's what I was always told (laughs) until we did our 23 and me, which is another another story. Um, We're still related. It's just not how we thought. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, um, my dad grew up in Northern California and to very, very, very poor family in the rice fields in Northern California and uh, went away to World War II and had a terrible experience that he would never, ever talk about. Hmm. Um, and my mom grew up in Sacramento. Uh, her parents were immigrants from Sicily, came through Ellis Island and settled in Sacramento of all places. And they met at uh, City College 
in Sacramento. That's how they met. Wow. My dad went off to war and my mom waited. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So they ended up both coming from the East Coast over to NorCal, huh? Well, they were born, they were both born in California. The families, my, like, my dad's family goes all the way back to the Mayflower. And um, there were actually two ancestors that came across on the Mayflower that we found through the family tree bullshit that people yeah. do. Wow. And, um, and, and then somewhere along the line, I'm related to Samuel Morse, who invented the Morse code. Awesome. And that was, um, I did my fifth grade paper on him. Um, yeah, I still have it somewhere. <laughs> That's funny. And then my, my grandparents, who were first cousins, by the way, um, hmm. so, uh, thus explains my chromosomal <laughs> abnormalities. Your but, need uh, for glasses or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Weak fingernails. <laughs> um, yeah, so they um, immigrated and came through Ellis Island and ended up in Sacramento, I believe, because another member of the family was already there and said, come live with us. Mm. So, yeah, I've only ever lived in California. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And what year was your dad born? 25. Okay. So, yeah, 1925. Um, and my mom in 26. Okay. My dad was born in 29 and my mom was born in 31. So depending on what your age is, you and I potentially had similar gaps between our parents and ourselves. How old are you, John? If 50, I can ask. I'm 56. So you, you didn't have as much of the gap, but did you get some of the, like, did your dad look much older when you were in high school? Yeah, uh, my dad turned prematurely gray. Um, oh yeah, and so he did look a whole lot older. My mom held up pretty well <laughs> mm -hmm. in the Sicilian genes. Yeah, um, but what's interesting is my brother, my only brother, is ten years older than me. So he uh. got a generation of them when they were probably more like their peers. Mm -hmm. And I came along ten years later, and so they were older parents, right at the time. Yeah, so that's how it worked out. So much different potential parenting too. And then you were, so that would make you, um, you were born in 62? 63. 63. So yeah, you had a much different time of growing up as well from what your brother lived through. Yeah, my brother basically was a hippie. Yeah. Um, and by the time he graduated from high school and went on to college, I was just becoming aware of what was going on around me. So mm -hmm. um, he was out by the time I knew what was going on. Yeah. And um, we're really close now, but at the time, just completely different generations, completely different mindsets, touch points, music, cultural icons, everything mm -hmm. completely different. Uh, and, and being up there in NorCal, like he's right there. Oh yeah, he went to Berkeley. He, he, oh God, he wow. walked through tear gas to go to class. Wow! I mean, People's Park and that whole demonstration and um, the sit-ins and the love-ins <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, the my dad used to call it marijuana, the marijuana smoking. Yeah, that they did. Um, yeah, they were all like peace, peace children. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. So I went to Berkeley. Oh, wow. And, but it was a whole decade later when everyone was go, go 80s. You know, it was um, Wall Street and, you know, no more marijuana. It was cocaine. And, mm-hmm. um, and everybody was go, go, go capitalist. So oh, really, really a very different environment. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny too. I mean, like completely same spot, same location and like a completely different world. Yeah, it was um, surreal. So he would come visit me and it was a really weird thing for him to walk through the campus and say, oh, well, that's where we did the sit-in. That's <laughs> yeah. where the naked guy was. And um, and and uh, yeah, that's where all the girls got arrested. Um, uh, crazy stuff. And the clash of like the music I'm sure that he was into and, and how much of a iconic like generation that was and how big of a part that was to like you saying, wait, Grace Slick, like she's in this other band. (laughs) (laughs) We built this city on rock and roll. What are you talking about? This other band. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, That's funny. So you are born then in the 60s and what what was your relationship like with your dad and with your parents when you were a kid well very loving family um and so we had a great relationship until adolescence i mean they were fantastic my mom was um a stay-at-home mom and uh, there was so much gap between me and my brother that she was kind of on me, you know, like it was, she was there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time I didn't really uh, think anything of it. It was great. You know, she was there, she, whatever we wanted to do later on, I'm like, Ooh, maybe a little too much, mm-hmm. <laughs> but she, she had a couple of children that, di- that died in childbirth between my brother and me. Oh. So we would have had five kids in the family and it was tragic for them. And so when I, when she became pregnant with me, she was on bed rest for almost the entire pregnancy. Hmm. And so by the time I got there and that I was healthy and I lived, um, they were ecstatic. And so I, I got, I got special attention. And the Mm -hmm. other thing is interesting is, um, I'm the baby on both sides of the family. So my mom was the youngest and my dad, although he wasn't the youngest was the last one to start having a family. And so I have cousins. God, I think my cousin Judy is 79. Oh, wow. Um, and so, you know, it's a, it, I grew up with my cousin's children. Oh, so wow. They're my peers and mm-hmm. they're the ones I hang out with. But just a weird kind of, you know, generational gap. Yeah. That's very different and interesting. And my grandfather, my dad's father died before I was born. So I never got to meet him or know Hmm. what he was like. And his wife, my grandmother was a very strong woman and not a very warm person. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that whole relationship was weird considering how amazing my aunts and uncles are. My dad's brothers and his sister were amazing wonderful love them Mm -hmm. Uh, but the mom was super cold and 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 his dad was gone and Mm -hmm. then on the italian side it's all about love 
food and love, love and food. There's mm-hmm. an equal sign between those. Right. Yeah, totally. And, um, you know, that whole family is beautiful and warm and friendly and loving. And um, it's neat to be adults with them. It's, it's neat to relate to them uh, uh, as adults because, it, you know, if you think about it, when I was a kid, they were already adults having kids. So we couldn't, we couldn't relate. They babysat me. So now we're kind of more like peers, even though they're still much older, we can have conversations. Mm-hmm. So how, how much are you still seeing a lot of these other family members today? Not as much as I would like, but we make a lot of effort to spend time together. Mm-hmm. And my dad just passed away. And so we had a memorial and a, a lot of them came. I mean, a lot. Um, from Virginia and Colorado and other parts of California, um, Washington State. I mean, it was wonderful. There, it, we, you just felt the love. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's, I mean, that's such a testimony to to a person like one of my. Very sadly, one of my uncles, one of my dad's brothers, died. Probably, uh, I don't know. Uh, four, three or four years ago. And the memorial service was just such a bummer to me because how few people were there. And it just seemed so, so odd. Like I was saying to one of my brothers who I went with, this just seems so weird to me because he, he actually, um, he was a big part of the city of uh, Corona and very familiar with he it. knew a lot of people. It's, it's, it's so weird that there were so few people there and it just really just was that opposite feeling of when you see all these people that are brought together by someone's life and are touched by their lives. And so I know how, I know how that can be because I have been at ones that weren't so weakly attended as my uncle's was, but, um, so I, I know that that must have brought a little bit of warmth to all of you guys seeing all the people that your dad brought there. Yeah, it, people made a special effort. And we really, my brother and I didn't, I don't know, we didn't plan it as well as as I, we could have. But we didn't say RSVP or we didn't tell people to let us know if they were coming. And so we ordered all this food. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at my brother and I was like, fuck, what if nobody comes? And he, and he looked at me, he goes, we're going to have a feast. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was more, more people came than we ever would have dreamed. And it was, yeah. it was so cool because it was a, it was a party. It was a celebration. Yeah. So we just asked people to share their stories about my dad. And there were many and people just got up and in a, in a, you know, very pleasant, happy, laughing way, told stories about my dad. Mm-hmm. And one of the women stood up and she's, and I knew her, of course, but some people didn't. And she said, I was married to Dean's, my dad's Dean. I was married to Dean's best friend that he had been best friends with since grade school. And they stayed friends for their entire lives. And she said, and Dean and Anne, my mom, were on my first date with my husband. And I had done this slideshow of pictures and there was a picture of my dad and my mom and these people and some others on a cable car in San Francisco. And that picture 
was their first date. Wow. And so it was, it was little tidbits like that, that just kind of were very warm and wonderful. Yeah. I, I went to one of my friend's dad's memorial service, um, a couple of years ago now. And, uh, I think out of memorial services that I've been to, it was one of the ones that the most people got up and spoke at. And I've been to a few where I've thought, Oh, maybe I'll go up and tell a story. And then I've just realized there's no way I'm going to do it. And I just don't (laughs) want to be that person who's up there like struggling to talk through tears and not able to do it. And that's just not really the spotlight I'm looking for. And also like, come on, just, get to the story fella you know we have other people who want to who want to hear these but um the ones that i've been to where there have been fewer people telling stories that one really made me realize like how many people benefit from even just those little stories that may not seem that amazing they're just sides of these people that so many other people that are there never got to know or see, or maybe they didn't know the person during that decade or whatever. So I've really like come to appreciate that more, all these stories that people have to tell. Yeah, it was neat. Cause there were, you know, people that I grew up with in my age and uh, people that he grew up with and that were his age um, and all of them sort of these different facets and different stories. And one of the things that, my dad was famous for was his Donald Duck impression. Oh boy. And um, I wish I had inherited that. I can't do it. But, <laughs> Same here. <laughs> but he was so good at it and he entertained all the kids in, mm-hmm. in the neighborhood and all the kids in the family. And to the one, every one of them brought it up about um, awesome. Donald Duck and how they had grown up with him doing that. It was, uh, it was special. <laughs> yeah. Quirky, but fun. Right. Yeah. Let's kind of go back a little bit. You, your brother went to Berkeley. You went to Berkeley. What did you go to school for? Well, I had a, a, a sidetrack to UC Santa Barbara for a couple of years, and then I transferred back to Berkeley. So I didn't do all four years there. And I, hmm. when I went to Santa Barbara, it was a party school. It is not any longer, but it was mm-hmm. when I was there. And that's all I did. And so I figured out when I was there, if I was going to get a grade better than a D, um, I should take an essay based class where the, where the testing was in essay form and I didn't have to memorize anything. I didn't, so Mm -hmm. I did very poorly in chemistry and biology and, and any kind of math, uh, because I had to memorize formulas and actually study because that got in the way of my bong hits. So, so, but if I got, if I went to class and it was an essay class, I am, I found out I was a good writer and I could write my way through it and Mm. I would get A's and I I don't know, something dawned on me and I was like, if I stay here, I'm never leaving. I, Mm -hmm. if if I keep, if I graduate from UC Santa Barbara, I'm never going to leave. So I should probably think about doing something else. And I, tran- I, I applied for an intercampus transfer to Berkeley and got it. And by the time I got to Berkeley, I was starting to get a little bit more serious. 
So um, I took mass communications and journalism classes again, because I was like, all right, I'm good at this and I get good grades at it and I like it. So I guess maybe I should follow this path. Mm -hmm. And luckily I had a, a mentor at college that guided me towards that as a career. And I thought I wanted to be a, a journalist. So I thought I was going to, I don't know, write for Interview Magazine or Vanity Fair or the New York Times or something. Glamorous. Mm -hmm. And so he got me an internship at a newspaper in San Francisco. <laughs> and honestly, Tim, it was, it was laughable. It was like a <laughs> scene from a movie. So I, I get to this little newspaper. It was like almost like a shipping news, like a, like they covered the news of the the ships that would come in and unload stuff and what was in port, what was leaving. Oh, and boy. then I know oh, the, by the way, other stuff. And it was a room full of curmudgeonly old men smoking cigars. The room was a complete fog of smoke. They were typing on typewriters, like a typewriter. <laughs> awesome. And, and here I am, you know, I'm like, you know, this shiny, bright, like gay guy from Cal Berkeley, like trying to make my way. And they looked at me like I was from another planet. And I mm -hmm. probably was. I mean, I literally probably was to them. Yeah. So that's yeah, to them. <laughs> that didn't last. I was like, oh, no, this is not for me. <laughs> so, so I went back to my um, counselor and he said, well, why don't you try public relations? Why don't you um, go? Because that, that requires writing as well. And it's a little bit more business focused and maybe not, you're not in the newsroom. So I did an internship at a PR agency in San Francisco and kind of fell in love with that as a career. And that sort of was the beginning of what, where the trajectory took me. Hmm. But I don't know if you had an internship when you were in college, but God, that was so intimidating. Yeah. So intimidating because here I am, you know, I'm, I'm taking Bart into San Francisco, walking around the financial district with all those skyscrapers, trying to find my way to somebody's office to interview for an internship. And it was just, you know, everyone's rushing around me in suits and ties and the women are, you know, everybody's super busy. And, and here I am like, again, out of my element. Mm -hmm. uh, but luckily somebody <laughs> believed enough in me that they let me empty their trash baskets and make copies and, and finally <laughs> allowed me to type on the typewriter wow. and, and write a story. And, and I stayed there until I graduated and then they hired me. So, oh, cool. um, and by that time we had a word processor. So imagine that. Yeah. And the thing was huge. I mean, yeah. It was yeah. Like, Enormous, like the size of a of a file cabinet, the thing. Yeah. With a little keyboard. So funny. It was a really fun career. And I just um I fell right into it. It worked for me and and that's and so I was off and running. So did you do PR for years and years and years after that, or how yeah. did that trajectory kind of go? Yeah. I worked in the PR agency business for I don't know, at least 10 years. Mm. And then I went to work for, as a marketing director for a, a real estate developer. And um, so then I was on the client side and I had agencies working for me, uh, which was a really interesting turn of events. 
And, um, and then I started my own agency with a partner and uh, still have it. So, oh, cool. Um, yeah, we morphed into integrated marketing and more full service. So I'd mo- I'm more of an advertising guy than a PR guy anymore. Mm-hmm. But I still love to write, so I still get to do that. And you know, two dads with baggage was one of the one of the reasons we started that. I wanted to find a creative outlet where I could continue to write. So that's that's kind of how that even came about. Okay, so let's let's kind of divert the road over to that. So you are working in PR, and when did you meet? Uh, tr- I, we haven't even brought, should I unleash his name already on the audience? And <laughs> So um, my husband's name is Triton, yes. like the god of the river. Yes. Um, and it's, it's hilarious because, again, generationally, his brothers, Steve and Robert, and his sister, Sherry. No uh, way. Yep. Those are their names, and he got Triton? Yep, and he's the youngest. Wow. And wow. he was born in 65, right mm-hmm. in the middle of hippie town. Yeah. And who knows what his parents were into at the time, but they mm-hmm. <laughs> took a left turn and, <laughs> and he ended up with Triton. So it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. People love it, but they mangle it. I mean, just, yeah. I mean, like, that's so weird. Can get it right. And so you almost have to say Triton, you know, like the little mermaid. Right, and, right. And, and then people are like, oh, Triton. But you know, he gets <laughs> he gets like Tristan and Trident oh, gosh. and like Trident. <laughs> Trisk. I used to call him Trisk oh, just to bug him. Um, That's a good yeah. nickname. <laughs> yeah, he gets everything. So he has this running joke at Starbucks, like a lot of people do, because Starbucks, I think, intentionally mm-hmm. fucks with your name. Oh yeah, just, that's just that's how you. they get their yayas out. Yeah. yeah. So he's got this ongoing series of them trying to get his name right. And the one that he texted me the other day was dry drawn, D R I D R O N dry. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Dry drawn. That's, that's yeah. amazing. Like, okay. That's not even close. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's taken shit for that name his whole life. And now it's really cool. And yeah, and it really stands out, but people think he changed his name to that. Or, right, right, right. You know, it's like, no, nope, that that that's what it says on his birth certificate. That's what that's what his parents did. <laughs> I mean, especially if he's if he's with his family members and they're all giving their very sorry to all of his siblings, their very plain Jane names, and then he introduces himself, people are like, Yeah, that's not right. He does have two younger brothers whose whose names are Garrett and Dalton. So at least that's a little yeah. in, a, in a little bit more of a creative direction. Yeah. Yeah. He came from a really interesting family. You know, I we're very different in that in that sort of background. My parents were married for 50 years until my mom passed away and were in love the whole time, very happy. Um no divorces, maybe one in the entire string of aunts and uncles. Mhm. Um, Triton's mom and dad were each married five times. Oh, wow. And his grandmother was married eight times. Oh my God. Wow. Twice to the same guy. Especially if you're going back into those years doing that 
Oh, I yeah. mean, I don't know how old she is, but to hear a grandmother being married eight times is jumps well, out at you. Yeah, she's gone. But but yeah, it, it's quite a story that if we had a whole nother podcast. Then- <laughs> when we do grandmothers unscripted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I know who I'm calling. But he was um, not at all close with his dad, who basically pretty much shined him after he said he was gay and Hmm. um, didn't want to have anything to do with him. So they didn't speak until his dad's death. They never really. Oh God. Um, That's tragic. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, life's too short. I mean, yeah. So it's uh, a, it's really sad. And my parents couldn't have been better about it. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I told them when I was in college and actually my dad was the one who was cool from the beginning mm-hmm. and my mom had a harder time. And later I found out the reason she had a hard time is because she wanted to be a grandmother so bad and she uh. me have kids. And then what's ironic and sad about that is that she died a week before our first daughter was born. Oh. So she never got to see me have kids, which is mm-hmm. what she wanted all along. Uh. But my dad was just so, he was just that guy. He was always there for you, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And just accepted me for who I was. Very, just, I um, can't say enough great things about him. Mm-hmm. I mean, throughout, just a great, great man. He sat with me at the kitchen table uh, when I was 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, struggling with my math homework. And he would sit there every night with me and and tutor me through it. Got me through calculus. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's something that uh, jumps out at me now as a dad with kids who, you know, I, it's a very different day and age, but I know how many kids do not get that and how important that is that time. You know, I didn't, my dad, was extremely busy and I didn't really get to do homework. I did other things with him, but that kind of commitment and sitting down to do something unfun for a parent, you know, I, I think of that a lot of times as well as a parent. Like I hear parents complain all the time and the thoughts go through my head. Like, I do not want to do this. This may be fun for my kid, or not fun for my kid if it's math and calculus, but you know, this I could be spending my time a million different ways that would be way more enjoyable for me. And I work very hard to dispel that thought as quickly as it jumps up and think about um, what this is going to mean to them when they're my age or whatever, when they are thinking back on that. Yeah. When they're on a podcast telling stories about their upbringing. Yeah. You for everybody to hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, you I'm know, unfortunately, shamed. neither Triton or I um, inherited that math gene. And mm. So although we can help them with a lot of things, that's <laughs> not one of them. That is well, not one of them. I'll sit at the kitchen table and do lots of stuff with them, but mm-hmm. not work. I just like, I'm sorry, guys, you're on your own. Yeah. Um, my wife is that same way. And I'm... I'm struggling through the, uh, what is the common core situation? Ah, so brutal. Yeah. Well, and that's where they lost me. 
I mean, that's when it diverged because I, I was trying to show Ava, I think my, our younger daughter, I was trying to show her how to do long division. Mm-hmm. And she asked me to help her and I sat down and I did, you know, I drew the thing and, you know, I'm like doing the bracket and like showing her. And she's like, what's that? <laughs> I'm like, well, this is how you do long division. She goes, no, yeah. it's not. <laughs> and she shows me this complete random weird drawing with numbers in it yeah. and then comes up with an answer. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, totally. And, and that's so foreign. That's, and that's when it was over. I was like, yeah. all right, I, I'm clearly no longer able to help you because I learned a completely different way. Yeah. The system has screwed all of us. <laughs> and now you're on your own. Yep. Yeah. So good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. So, so when did you meet Triton? Well, um, that's straight from math to how I you met Triton. Perfect segue. So before I had even moved to San Diego, I was still living in San Francisco and I had some buddies from college that lived in San Diego and I would come down to visit and who wouldn't want to come visit San Diego? It's a beautiful place. And, um, I came down one time and my friend Johnny said, Hey, um, we got to go pick up something from my ex drive by his house and pick this thing up. And so we did, we drove over there and we went to the front door and his ex wasn't home but his ex's new boyfriend answered the door and it was Triton. Oh boy. And he remembers it and I remember it. <laughs> and then we never saw each other nor spoke for another uh, nine years. Oh wow. Like nothing. Like it was nothing. It was just like a, like a random meeting for like a minute and a half. So then I was on the board of directors for a nonprofit organization. And one of the other board members asked if I would help to write a brochure for this nonprofit. And would I write the copy? And they had a friend who would design it. And would we collaborate on this project? And I said, yeah, sure. So he said, let me get you guys together. So we go to coffee and the designer is Triton. Huh? And we, I, you, you, don't, you don't forget a name like that. Yeah. So I was like, Hey, I think I remember meeting you like 10 years ago. And he's like, yeah, I remember that smile. And, um, and so we like recalled that and then we collaborated on this project and started dating and fell in love and it was, it was off and running. Wow. And so what year is that? Well, that was like, uh, so we've been together 22 years. Oh, wow. So what would that make it? I don't even know. See? Bad event. Uh, that would make it 97. 97? Yeah. 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 So everybody always says, well, did you always know you wanted to have kids? And I love kids, always have. And I thought it wasn't going to happen for me. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't think that gay men, even in a loving relationship, it wasn't at that time uh, very common to see men with two men with kids. Yeah. And so I just thought it wasn't going to happen, you know, and I'd sort of program my life accordingly. And, um, on our second date, we're sitting on the beach in front of the hotel Del Coronado. And he says, so what do you think about kids? How about having kids? And I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you're dating someone, you'll agree to just about anything. Right. Yeah. The person says, I like hot dogs. And you say, oh, I love hot dogs too. Yeah, my favorite. You hate, hate, yeah. 
You don't have to say anything, right? And so I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, he took that as a serious yes. And as our relationship progressed, he kept bringing it up. Like, so, you know, the, you know, these kids, this kid thing. And finally, one day I was like, hey, so you're serious about this kid thing. Like, that was just not a bypass comment. That was like a thing. And he's like, well, yeah, aren't you? And by then we were so far into the relationship. If I had said yes, he would have been happy. And if I'd said no, I don't think he would have run away. Mm-hmm. But it was definitely one of those moments where you're like, oh, 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 you are serious. All right. Well, yeah. Um, but he was so smart and so patient that he just let it sit there with me and percolate. And we'd spend time with his family and they had kids and you know, I'd be with these babies and he just let it simmer. And then he'd like, he'd like leave information on the table about adoption and all this other stuff. And it ended up that I was the one that called the adoption agency and Mm -hmm. I was the one that did all the research and put the ball in motion. So it was a very smart, very canny um, way of him getting what he wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but ultimately it's what I wanted too. Right. I'm right. So happy. I'm so, so happy that he persisted and, uh, we have two gorgeous daughters to show for it. So how difficult was the adoption process? Was it a bigger hurdle for you guys or, or no at that time? Well, so we were a little bit of pioneers. Mm-hmm. Um, there weren't not a lot of people. We knew one other couple, male couple that had children. You know, it's easier for girls. They want to have a baby. They can have a baby. They can find a way to have a baby. But for guys, you can't make a baby, obviously. And so you have to get one, mm-hmm. to put it bluntly. Legally, fellas, legally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we... <laughs> Um, so these friends adopted uh, from Romania, and hmm. um, we considered an overseas adoption also, but we saw the struggles that they went through ultimately to even bring their children home, and then those children were challenged. Hmm. And so it was a, a difficult experience for them, and we didn't want to go through that. Mm-hmm. And so then we looked at surrogacy, um, and it's much more common now, but at the time surrogacy was in its, in its early stages and it was very, very expensive and inexact. So you didn't quite know if you'd spend all that money and still not end up with a baby. Right. And so that was something we took into consideration. And then a friend stepped forward and said that their, their family had started because they had done an open adoption. And so they had, met the birth mother when she was pregnant. She had already decided she was going to give this baby up for adoption. And so um, she decided to give it to them. And that, that sounded very appealing to us because mm-hmm. in a way, gosh, the, the world is a complicated enough place and there's enough people on this planet already. We didn't really feel like we had to make another one. Mm-hmm. We, we sort of felt like there was a baby out there that needed a home. And we had a loving home to give it. And that's how we decided to approach it. So we, uh, we hired an attorney in San Diego 
who turned out to be um, not very good at what she did, and that adoption failed. And we ended up hiring a different attorney in LA, and the guy was brilliant. I mean, he had it wired. Um, so, in the end, you know, we went up for a meeting with him, and he said, Hey, I can, I absolutely am confident that you guys will have a baby. Your situation is a little more unusual with two men, and we have to find a birth mom who would agree to that. Mm-hmm. So normally I tell people it might take 12 to 18 months for me to place a baby. But for you guys, it's probably going to take a little longer. It might be 18 to 24 months. And we said, okay, well, we'll just go with that and see how it goes. It was two months. Wow. And we weren't even ready. So we get this phone call. I'll never forget. I was in Atlanta at the Martin Luther King Memorial there. Hmm. And Triton calls me and says, hey, we just got a call from the attorney and there's a baby. <sighs> and, and I'm like, wait, I'm, you know, <laughs> I had to sit down <laughs> and fan myself. And mm-hmm. um, it was very surreal. And uh, ended up flying home and going up to LA and meeting this wonderful birth mother who had a gay cousin. And I think that she felt some empathy for this cousin of hers who she thought would never have a child. And so she knew that we wanted a child badly. And so she chose us. Mm. So it was this very weird sort of reverse universe where she was 17. Yeah. It was her second child. Wow. Wow. And here you are meeting with a 17-year-old, and she's trying to decide if she's going to give you her baby. Right. I mean, like, her her most prized possession in the universe. Like, she's going to give you her baby. And so we, you know, he puts us together to have a private meeting with her. And it was just so bizarre. You're trying to relate to a 17-year-old, and, you know, she's eight months pregnant, and I mean, it's, it's just wild, um, wild. Yeah. So we agreed uh, that this was going to happen. And um, the date came for the baby to be born and, you know, didn't baby wasn't born. And uh, she called us and said, Hey, I think I might be going into labor. I'm not sure. So I'll call you later if it's, if it's re- really happening. <laughs> And we had dinner plans with some friends and I was a nervous wreck. And Mm -hmm. so we went to the dinner and I had several margaritas. um, And then we got home and we still didn't have a phone call. And so I took a sleeping pill on top of those margaritas. Oh God. I was like, I'm going to sleep. I can't even. So I went to bed and the phone rings at one 30 in the morning and it's her. And she says, I'm in the hospital and I'm in labor. And we're like, fuck. (laughs) So Triton pours me into the car. We drive up to LA, get to the hospital, which was in Compton. Oh boy. So we get to go to the hospital that is on lockdown and we have to go through emergency to get inside because that's the only way in. So you can imagine emergency in Compton. Yeah. And we end up, you know, in the maternity ward. And uh, everyone there could not have been nicer. It was it was an amazing experience. Wow. So she went into labor and 
um, we got to be in the room and and watch our daughter born. And wow. I was the first one to hold her um, when she was still all messy and mm-hmm. and 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 gross and beautiful and wonderful. And uh, seeing her sort of blossom in your arms from a blue messy baby, yeah, into a pink normal happy baby mm-hmm. was, was the, the transformation of it was just mind blowing. Yeah. And especially being there after having only known this, uh, not even woman, this girl, young woman for two months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And here she is buck naked and you're looking at her and she's, she's giving birth and you're like, okay, we're very bonded. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We have a bond. So we went, we went with the baby to be weighed and cleaned up and get her first eye drops and her shot in the bottom of her foot and all that stuff that they do. And her birth mother went on to recovery and, um, we joined back up several hours later and her birth mom was, um, starting to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what are you doing? She goes, oh, I got to go. And we're like, well, you're, you need to stay and they need to make sure you're okay and you're supposed to, to stay in the hospital for at least 24 hours. And she's like, no, no, I got to go. My parents are oh my expecting God. me. I have a curfew. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, for real. <laughs> and so we wheeled her out to the lobby and her friends pulled up in a car and she got up and we walked her to her, to the car. And I remember so distinctly, she turned around and she looked at us and she goes, I did a good thing. Right. <sighs> and we just burst into tears. <laughs> I mean, it was like, yes, yes, you did a very, very good thing. Thank you. Yeah. And we never saw her again. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. That is that is crazy. I was I was thinking that was going to go in a much different way, John. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, because you're you're talking about this bond, and um, I mean, for me, I'm thinking like, are you guys this whole time, like every passing minute, thinking she's going to cancel this? Oh yeah. Was that so, ever? Was that like oh, going yeah. through your heads? Oh yeah. And so at the time in the state of California, the birth mom had three months, oh my 90 God. days to change her mind. And we had some friends that had their baby taken back from by the birth mom. And oh. so knowing that, we had asked the attorney to prepare a document for her to sign that waived her right to mm. those 90 days. And we made her do it in the hospital before she left. Wow. So it cleared that worry. Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. It's crazy. Worrying for, for 90 more days. Yeah. Well, and it's different in every state. And I know that yeah. California has reduced that, that window. And now I think it's 30 days. Um, but <sighs> yeah, our, our daughter Ava was born in Las Vegas and the state of Nevada at the time, it was three days, but those oh, wow. three days were, grueling yeah i'm sure because they demanded that the baby and the mom stay in the hospital in the same room for 72 hours 
And then if the mom still wanted to give the baby up for adoption, then it was done. Out, she's gone, and the baby's released. So I sat my ass in that hospital room for 72 hours. And Triton and I took turns, but I was like, I'm not leaving this room. And she's like, well, you don't have to worry. And I was like, I'm not worried, but I'm not leaving this room. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, we sat we sat in that hospital room taking turns for 72 hours until it was over. And she breastfed that baby. So right. bonding. Sit there and watch her bond with this baby. Yeah. And oh, it's just brutal. Just brutal. <laughs> You're like, isn't that horrible? Don't you hate this breastfeeding thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. you, you must be that. miserable. Doesn't that hurt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. yeah. And then the state of Nevada also required that we stay in the state with the baby for 10 working days. Wow. So we got one of those little suites like Marriott suites or courtyard or whatever it was with the kitchen where we could heat up the formula Mm -hmm. and we camped in this hotel room in Las Vegas. And I remember pushing the stroller, (laughs) like Ava's like, I don't know, like a week old and we're pushing the stroller down the strip. Oh my (laughs) gosh. I'm thinking like, ah, this is really, we probably shouldn't be here in front of Bellagio (laughs) with all these people. And, Uh, but yeah, stories to tell. Two weeks. So how, what is the age gap between? Oh yeah. So that was another thing you asked about how long it took. So they're 22 months apart. Our girls are 22 months apart. Oh wow. We had thought we were shooting for three years apart. Mm -hmm. And because the attorney had told us it would take 18 to 24 months the first time, and we got so lucky it was only two months, we did the math and said, okay, At this point, we should probably start again because by the time we have a baby, that was a fluke. So, so by the time we have a baby, it'll be like the right timing and they'll be three years apart. Yeah. And again, I think it was five months and we were matched with another birth mom. And everyone was like, why is this happening so easily for you guys? Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah. So Ava was born shortly after that to a birth mom in Las Vegas who it was her seventh child. Wow. It was her fifth child and she was 27. Oh my gosh. And yeah. Yeah. So also a very sweet woman and um, just um, different circumstances, you know, that these people that lead people to need to do this or want to do this or know that another family can give this child the love um, and support that they cannot. And so she also made that decision and we have a beautiful daughter to show for it. Wow. I'm the youngest of eight and six of my siblings are adopted and I've never really talked with my mom about the waiting period or any of that kind of stuff. So I can only imagine if uh, what the process was like, I mean, they were adopting in the sixties and the seventies. So I don't know who knows what it was like back then, but well, those were closed adoptions. So they oh, were true. The, they have no idea what the circumstances were. And those kids would have to hire private investigators to even try to track down their original birth parents. And there's a whole business around trying to help people 
find their birth families. Yeah. From which, that time. Which some of my siblings did. I think maybe one or two of them did not, but the rest of them did. Yeah. It's like, you know, I think those of us that went through a natural birth process and stayed with the parents that gave birth to us, we kind of take that for granted. I mean, it's just a given. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those of us that are adopted, there's a disconnect. So although we've had both our daughters from day one and were their parents, there's this other set of people that had a lot to do with it. Right. And, and they're both my daughters want to meet those people Mm -hmm. and, and we know them. We know those people. I don't know where they are, but I they can't be that hard to find. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, and so we, we've always told our daughters when they're 18 um, and they're, you know, old enough with some level of maturity. I don't know if 18 (laughs) is really um, (laughs) the, the, the end of all that, but, um, yeah, we told them when they're 18 that we'll help them find their birth parents, and then it's up to their birth parents about whether or not they want to meet them. It's right, two way street. Yeah, wow, that's wild. So they are now, and and they're getting very close to that age. Yes, yeah. Sophia will be 18 next year, and Ava's 15. Um, so yeah, yeah, they're 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 getting close. We talk about it. I mean, it's not a secret. There's two dads. They right, right. Come from some other place. Yeah. And we've talked about it since they were little. And I remember sitting with Sophia when she was a toddler. You know, she could talk, but not well, maybe three, four years old. And um, a show came on the TV and there was a mom and a dad. And she pointed to the TV and she looked at me and she goes, I don't have a mommy. I have two daddies. We're like, that's right, honey. You have two daddies, and it was just ma- very matter of fact. And then mm-hmm. I think she asked, she asked for some popcorn or something. I mean, it was like, <laughs> I gotta go potty now. Yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, as they've grown up and compare our family with some of their friends' families, they're like, wait, you know, one of these is not like the other. So, mm-hmm. um, tell us more. And so as they've gotten older, we've told them a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And to the point now where as teenagers, they know most of it. Yeah. And has, has it been a struggle? I mean, for girls, I think potentially, I I don't know, I may be talking completely out of my ass, but I'm thinking potentially the dynamic may be a little bit different because, well, who knows? Kids are kids. Regardless, so I guess I'll just ask: Did they have struggles from their peers of them having two dads, or have they not really had to deal with that much? Oh, they've had to deal with it for sure. Yeah, um, I think because we're in California and because we're in San Diego and because we live in a neighborhood that's very liberal, um, they certainly haven't had to deal with it like some others might in other mm-hmm. parts of the country. Uh, but remember, we were sort of pioneers, yeah. so it was kind of a new thing, and we would get lots and lots of comments from people, um, sometimes not very nice, but but really um, um, mostly naive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they grew up with these comments from 
like like you know well-meaning and well-intentioned people that would say oh boy daddy's day out huh you giving mom a break or mm-hmm. just stuff like that we get no no we're two dads it's this is this these we are the parents yeah and then they'd get embarrassed you know and then they'd ask questions but many times that happened in front of our children mm-hmm. so it was awkward right and when they got into the school, you know, school age, when kids are mean and tease each other for having, you know, two feet or right, yeah, like pretty much fingers, um, yeah, yeah, uh, that was the thing that they got teased for. And yeah, I think I told you about Sophia and President Obama. No, so when Sophia was ten years old, President Obama was running for re-election, and during that time, at some point, he finally said he was in favor of same-sex marriage. And he had not supported it up until that time. And honestly, I think he finally said, what the fuck? I know I'm going to get re-elected, so I'm just going to finally speak my truth. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's, my, that's my impression. But, <laughs> um, he And so Sophia said, she came downstairs and she goes, hey guys, I wrote a letter to President Obama. Do you want me to read it to you? Hmm. I said, yes, of course. And so she read us this really beautiful, very heartfelt letter about how having two dads and she was so happy that he had supported our family and believed that two men could love each other and be married. Um, and that sometimes kids at school were mean to her about having two dads and it hurt her heart. Hmm. And she went on to explain a little bit and then said, what would you do if you were in my situation please write back. And so I took a picture of the letter and I posted it on Facebook so that my friends could see what an amazing daughter we had. And I was like, I'm so proud and so touched. And it went viral. So it went all around the world. And um, I mean, like millions of views. And wow. uh, we started getting calls from the press. So the first call was from the Huffington Post. And we said no. To, we were we were just overwhelmed. So it was like, no, 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 this is not what we intended. We didn't want to be the poster family. This is this is not for public consumption. Yeah. So I just didn't think it was going to go so big. Mm-hmm. So the guy from Huffington Post, who was gay and really nice, said, "Well, I'm going to write the story anyway. Even if you don't, <laughs> if even if you don't want to give me an interview, I'm going to write the story. Yeah, it's a great story." And I said, "Well, you got to do what you got to do." but we're not going to give you a quote. And um, he said, okay. He goes, well, do me a favor. If you decide to send the letter, send it to this address. Don't send it to the regular White House address that everybody sends their letters to. Send it to this address. Hmm. And so I did. I sent it to that address. And we knew something was up because a couple of days later, I got a call from Washington verifying our mailing address. Hmm. So I was like, okay, something's up. <sighs> so sure enough, the next day, knock on the door and it's a um, special delivery mail that you have to sign for Hmm. from the, from the white house. And we open it and it's a, it's a letter from president Obama personally to Sophia. Wow. In response. And it was uh, equally beautiful, you know, said something like families come in all shapes and sizes and some have two dads and some have one mom and, you know, it doesn't matter. What matters is love and love will carry you through. And so 
you know, don't worry about those kids on the playground because you have love and that will be their strength. And, um, it was just beautiful. So that went viral. Um, yeah. Um, it was, I think it was perfect storm because the election was coming up. That issue was going to be heard by the Supreme court. It was Mm -hmm. a lot of things lining up for his reelection and, you know, just, uh, the public was in a furor about same-sex marriage. And so it just touched yeah. a lot of people. And honestly, if you Google her name now, it's like 40 pages deep. I mean, there's stories oh, all over the world in all kinds of languages. And so Triton and I jokingly said, um, well, what would you have said yes to? And his was Ellen. If Ellen called, he, he, was, he said, we, we'll say yes. And, uh-huh. mine was, and mine was Oprah. We're like, okay, well, with either of them call, we'll say yes. But all the rest were yeah. saying And so we said no to the New York Times and USA Today and the LA Times and the London Times. I mean, like we said no to everybody. And, yeah. and then one day my cell phone rings and I'm in the car and I pick it up and, I, and, and they said, is this John Bailey? And I said, yeah. I said, well, this is, I can't remember the woman's name. And I'm the producer for Katie Couric's show. Oh. And, um, we are doing a special program about families like yours in support of families like yours as we move towards the Supreme Court decision. So she's like, will you do the show? And I said, no. And then when I got home, <laughs> I got home and Triton's like, you said no to Katie Couric? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was funny because the girls, I don't know if you know that, there's a there's a cartoon animated cartoon that's like fish under the sea, and at that Will Smith is in it, and Angelina Jolie they lend their voices, and Katie Couric plays herself huh. as a fish interviewing people for the news huh. in this movie, and so I said Katie Couric, and the kids knew who she was because of this movie. Oh gosh! So they're like Katie Couric, Katie Couric, <laughs> and we. So anyway, we decided to say yes. And, uh, so we, they flew us to New York and we did this show and it was really empowering for the girls because there were four other families interviewed and we got to sit in the audience and see them interviewed and their kids and their stories and how they had overcome and, and the Mm. love, the love they clearly had for one another. And so when it came our turn, um, Katie had Sophia read her letter to president Obama and then she had me read president Obama's response Mm. and the whole audience was in tears and it was just, it was for them, for the kids, it was so affirming to see the support that they were getting. And I I just don't think it dawned on them. And I don't know if it still doesn't fully Mm -hmm. sink in about what a big deal that was. But so we're, we're taping this show. (laughs) We go back to the hotel room. My cell phone rings. And John, ba- is this John Bailey? Yes, it is. This is the White House. Oh my gosh. And it was the Office of Protocol calling to invite us as guests of the president to come to the Easter egg roll on the White House. Wow. Level. So we went, of course. And although yeah. we didn't get to meet President Obama, we did get to participate in something really amazing and really special. Wow. Um, and Sophia got to stand in front of the White House and say that she'd had this amazing letter exchange with the president of the United States. Yeah. And then shortly after that, the Supreme court 
decided in favor and we were at Disneyland. And uh, so, so we had the kids, we were at Disneyland and we had my niece and her friend with us. And I got a a text from CNN on my cell phone saying that it had come in, you know, in favor. Mm -hmm. And I said, Triton, give me your ring. Cause we had these rings from Tiffany's that we'd been wearing forever. I said, give Uh me your ring. And he goes, why? And I said, just give me your ring. So he gives me his ring. We walk over to in front of Sleeping Beauty's castle. And I went down on one knee. Oh my gosh. And I said, will you marry me? And it drew this enormous crowd of people who were cheering and clapping. And it was like this big thing. And because it had just become legal and everyone was getting this text. from, Yeah. You know, I mean, they'd all gotten the news. And so it was like, I have, so we had this picture of me holding the ring in front of Sleeping Beauty's castle. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. What it a perfect really cool. place. Right? Yeah. I mean, like, you couldn't have scripted it. <laughs> yeah. Where so, dreams come true. Yeah, exactly. So we'll always have Disney in our hearts. <laughs> That's like when you, you know, when you, I don't know if this is true, but the myth of um, having a baby or going into labor at Disneyland. And have you ever heard about this? No. If you supposedly how the story goes, and I know personal friends who have tried to get in on this, so I I think it's real unless like Disney has some cruel joke that they're trying to play on pregnant women. But if you go into labor, you don't even have to have your child there supposedly, but if you go into labor on Disney grounds, your child will get a Disney pass for life. (laughs) and so there's a lot of women that go there in like their i've known women who go there every single day of their like last two weeks to try to go into labor on disneyland so i was gonna say if you get engaged (laughs) like on disneyland like you should get something like lifelong churros or anything something yeah a a mickey mouse balloon or something (laughs) right Yeah. yeah We got nothing. We got nothing. We got nothing but great pictures Gypped. and a wonderful memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That's uh, I. I know I'd seen something about her story on your Instagram, but I had not actually heard it. So that's that's a great story. Yeah, we told her it's perfect fodder for her college entrance essays. Oh yeah, she's set. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Much uh, no. Uh, slam on you but much better than the uh i'm related to the morse code guy right and i <laughs> I, I just want to go to college to take bong hits yeah i mean like yeah, it's yeah. a different story isn't it <laughs> slightly yeah <laughs> yeah a little bit <laughs> so so now two dads with baggage goes strong and you guys do basically travel blogging and all of that with with two dads with baggage yeah yeah um Again, it was sort of a creative outlet for me to be able to write because I don't mm-hmm. do that as much anymore. And we love to travel. And I was always, people were always asking us because they knew how much we'd traveled. I mean, we began traveling with the girls when they were four and six that they'd always ask me for advice and, hey, we're going to London. We know you went to London. Where should we go? What should we do with the kids? And so I would write these big, long emails to them with all these things to do. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, hey, I should be sharing this. And um, about that same time, a friend of mine forwarded an email to me 
from Hilton Hotels. And they were looking for bloggers to join a mommy blogger site hmm. that was called Hilton Mom Voyage. And they're, and I was like, well, I'm not a mom. This doesn't fit. And they're like, exactly. You should do this because mm-hmm. you have a voice that needs to be heard and they're going to have all these moms and you're going to stand out. So I applied and Hilton in very good taste <laughs> um, said, yes, of course. So I got to join, there was one other dad and 25 moms or something like that. And we were Hilton brand ambassadors. So they sent us all over the place and we got to stay in Hilton hotels for free and, and write about it. And so that sort of, I was like, okay, I can do this. I, I know how to do this. So yeah. um, we started two dads with baggage and been off and running. Awesome. Yeah. I know with, with the, amount of people doing it that seems to continue to grow. I know that your guys' stuff is very well written and that you are doing it in a very positive way. So kudos to that. Well thank you. I think I think because we're two dads, that's a story that I think a a, a lot of people want to hear and don't get to hear a lot about. Mm-hmm. So we do stand out. And and honestly the LGBT community in general is something that is being now sought after by destinations. And, and so they, they welcome us with open arms because I think they are trying to court uh, the LGBT community. And, and there's not that many people in our community that are blogging. So yeah, it was good timing and I love it. Um, and Triton and the girls are along for the ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the girls are like, really? again uh-huh, i'm sure smile again i'm sure but triton's been fantastic he's the photo editor and graphic design king and so he does all the look and feel and i do the writing that's great i think that is a very big point on it because with how much the community goes through and how god like <laughs> I'm I'm not going to walk down this road, but I will say this tiny little thing of the vast difference between leadership in our country, between the time that your daughter is writing a heartfelt letter and receiving one back from a very compassionate man who is um, leading our country and the comparison between now and then and how much the community is taking on now and instead of being able to uh i don't know be as on the upward as it was four years or not four years ago six years ago or whatever and how much on the defensive and how much yucky stuff you're hearing about on the daily basically now amongst that community and others like it's it's great the joyous sides and the rays of sunshine like two dads with baggage brings is a solid reminder of what that community does bring so i think that that's a great thing because it's hard to find that sometimes in today's day and age which just sounds so dumb to say because that wasn't that long ago that that sounded more fun to say. Yeah, I think it's all um, clouded in 
I, I just feel bad for kids growing up right now. My mm-hmm. kids, your kids, like I just feel bad because they don't, you know, they're, they're growing up in this time when everything is so negative mm-hmm. um, and they're, at least my girls, they're coming into their own. They're starting to have their own thoughts and feelings and opinions and they're being formed in this really nasty place. Not that their opinions are nasty, but they're in this environment where there's a lot of nastiness. And I wish that it wasn't that way. I'll, I'll just say it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, the hope is like for me and I know like I'm having to work that much harder with my kids to, you know, I think normally I would have been, giving them their path to what I think would be solid ways of thinking. And now I'm having to not only direct them on that, but talk about the other things that are outside of their path. And so I think the hope is that in however much time, all of these kids that are getting that kind of parenting are going to kind of like, rise up from this and make an even more kind of glowing statement than, than what has been going on in the past decade or whatever. So that's my hope. Well, my mind too. It's funny because the girls and I were having this conversation with Triton too, and we were talking about the environment and both girls were angry, really angry. And I, and I was like, but you have the opportunity to, be the solution and, and, and fix this. Mm-hmm. And, and they were, they looked at me and they're like, yeah. And thanks a lot. <laughs> and I was like, what? And they're like, you handed us this pile and you're, then you're saying to us that we're the answer mm-hmm. that we have to fix it. Like, what do you think that feels like to us? What kind of pressure does that put us on us? Mm-hmm. And I never thought about it that way, but they're so aware. They're so environmentally aware. Like they're telling us constantly, like we don't use straws. Yeah. We, we, we recycle everything. Yeah. Like we shouldn't be buying processed foods. I mean, like they're telling us. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, but wait, (laughs) wait, wait, you're totally aware. Like that's a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But it kind of backfired. Yeah. They're pissed. That's great. That's, I mean, my daughter is, she is 10 and she is, kind of in that same way, like we'll be walking and she'll be telling me about the environment and about different animals that are on the verge of extinction and whatever. And she is almost angry, but I think she doesn't yet feel that complete ownership, but she is very adamant. Like when she sees people littering or not recycling or whatever, like she knows what's what. So I think there's hope with this generation as long as we don't fuck it up too much yeah i I completely (laughs) so uh well thanks so much for being on the podcast john i i've really appreciated the time with you and and all of the stories that you've brought to the audience have been really cool oh thank you so much for having me it was it was really fun so i'll look forward to listening to more of your stories with other dads yeah thank you All right. Well, you guys make sure that you check out Two Dads with Baggage. That's the number two on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. Where else should we be sending them, John? 
the blog is twodadswithbaggage.com. And there's a bunch of stuff there that you wouldn't see on social. So, yeah, um, check it out. Cool. All right. Yeah, make sure you guys check that out. All right. Thanks again, John. Thank you. All right. And thus ends the episode with myself and John Bailey. Wow. Right? Just pause for a second with me and say, wow together because that was so great i'll tell you that john was so gracious i reached out to him through instagram i had seen his account and saw what he and his family were doing and loved it reached out to him and he got right back to me and we dialogued about this happening for a little while i will say really quickly like i had not realized the whole thing that went viral about his daughter, Sophia, and the letter to Barack Obama and all of that until much later and was like, whoa. And I didn't really read into it because I wanted him to tell the story. And that was just so cool. Like, oh, man, the days of yore when we had a I'm not going to get into it. So anyways, Thank you guys for listening to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. Um, You can and definitely should look up Two Dads with Baggage and support them. And you can look me up and support me on all of the social media platforms on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, all as Daddy Unscripted. So you can follow me there. Send me a note. Let me know what you thought of this episode. Let me know what you're thinking of any of these episodes. And please, it really, I know we all say this, but it actually really does help other people find the podcast when you leave a review and give a five-star rating. So um, if you think I am deserving of five of your stars, then I would appreciate all five of them. If you think I'm just worth four, give me four. But if you feel I am worthy of five of your stars, I am all about it. So definitely leave a review and rating. And again, a reminder, check out OsirisPod.com. Check out JamBase.com. Check out Umphreys.com because, again, I will thank Umphreys McGee for allowing me to have their music as part of the podcast. I believe it brings so much to this, and I love the partnership that I have with a band that I love. And make sure you guys... Oh, my gosh. Umphreys is going to Iceland next year. Do I need to tell you about that? So make sure you look up the one band that is willing to rock Yavik which is Umphreys McGee. And now, as I greeted you in a different language, I will say goodbye to you in a different language. Dehan wa'alu, which means have a nice day in Tigrinya. So have a nice day, everybody. Be kind to those around you. Let's spread that out. And you can tell somebody when they're like, wow, you were so nice to me today. Why? Why Why were you so different? And you can say the Daddy Unscripted podcast told me to or you can just tell them you should listen to the daddy unscripted podcast and you'll know or you could just say this is the way i always am man and you should be that way too and then we'll spread it out that way that sounds good so thanks you guys for listening keep an eye out for the next episode in the next couple of weeks or so thank you so much (laughs) 